Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's great to see all of your faces out there. If we haven't met, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here in New Denver. We're so glad that you decided to jump online this morning and join us um, for this Easter service. Uh, now, this Easter, we've already acknowledged this Easter isn't uh, what any of us would have expected even a month ago. Uh, I mean, but to be fair, it, I mean, almost nothing in our lives is the way we thought it'd be a month ago, is it? I mean, I cut my own hair yesterday. I mean, I think I did a pretty good job, to be fair. To be fair, I cut my own hair. I started cutting my own hair, and I got partway in, and I realized I cannot do this by myself. And so Kate, my wife, came and bailed me out. Um, and so everything's a little bit different um, than what it was even a month ago. Uh, but even with everything that's going on, um, today is still a day to celebrate. And on Easter, we gather, although virtually this year, to be fair, um, along with others all around the world, to remember and to retell this story, a story that's been handed down to us over the centuries. And it's a story about an event that stands at the very center, at the heart of our faith as followers of Jesus. Jesus. And, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus. As we begin uh, our time together today, I, I want to share that story as it has been passed on to us from the perspective of one of the eyewitnesses to the events that he describes. The book of Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus's life, if you're new to the Bible, um, and it's, it's one of the four accounts that, uh, that we have that, that is written by an eyewitness. A man named Matthew wrote it, and he was a part of Jesus's inner circle, one of his core disciples, uh, and he writes these events from the perspective of one who was there and saw what was happening. So we're going to start today by, by reading Matthew's telling of the events uh, immediately following Jesus's execution. Katie Tenhalsen, Andrew Knopp, and Cassandra O'Brien are going to read for us today. So as you listen, just remember a little context for the story. Remember that Jesus was executed on a Friday. He hastily got laid in a tomb, essentially an opening in a kind of a cleft in a, in a rock facing. They just laid his body there. His, his followers didn't even have time to properly bury, bury him because it was the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath, a day when just as today, Jews were to worship and to rest and not do any work. So they weren't even able to go and properly bury him. He, he laid in the tomb. Friday night, all day Saturday. And so the first opportunity that anyone would have even had to come to see where he had been laying would have been Sunday morning. So we pick up this story early on Sunday morning. And so Katie, you can go ahead and start reading for us. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If the report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Okay, I think Cassandra cut out right there at the end. She did for me. So just to wrap that up, he says that to baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit and that, uh, oh, I scrolled down, darn it. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Well, thank you guys for reading that. Um, now, I just want to note that if you grew up going to church at all, I mean, you know this story right? You've probably read these exact verses uh, many times. And for a lot of us here today, uh, the challenge may be to come to to the story with new eyes or new ears to really engage it again and be open uh, to some new insights. But if you are here today and you're probably generally familiar with, with the Easter story, even if you didn't grow up going to church, you can't grow up in America and not kind of hear the general pieces of the story, but maybe you've never actually read it before. So as you listen today, you may be thinking to yourself, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in this story. And you're not wrong. I mean, there, there are, there's an earthquake that starts this story, which as it turns out was caused by a glowing angelic messenger rolling away a massive stone that was blocking Jesus's tomb. And then the angel actually announces that Jesus isn't there. He tells the people who are there, he tells them that he's not there because he's actually not dead anymore. He's alive again. He's resurrected from death. And the angel makes this announcement, not only to Jesus' followers, but also in front of the guards that have been assigned to keep his tomb, to keep his his followers from from coming and taking the body, because this is something that the Jewish leaders were afraid that was going to happen. So right off the bat, here we have a conspiracy theory. Matthew gives us a conspiracy theory. He says that the guards go and tell the Jewish leaders what's happened, and they pay them off uh, to tell them to, to spread this story that 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 while they were there guarding the tomb, that, that Jesus's followers came and took the body, which, which if you think about it is really interesting because basically they're admitting they failed at their one job. They had one job, guard the tomb, don't let anybody take the body. And so they're getting paid. They must've gotten paid a lot because they go and spread this story. Matthew even says it's the story that was still told during the time that he was writing his account of Jesus's life. And then of course, there's the focal point of this whole chapter. There are multiple encounters between Jesus and many of his followers. Matthew wants to be clear about this, that multiple people saw a living, breathing, walking around and talking Jesus. Not a ghost, 
an actual physical human being, the same person that they had known and loved for years. First, they saw him outside of the tomb, but eventually, Matthew says, they end up in Galilee, this region of Israel where Jesus was from and where he'd spent so much of his life and done so much ministry. And in this last encounter with his closest friends and his followers, this is the place that Matthew chooses to end his account of Jesus's life. This is where he ends the story. Here near the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where they'd spent so much time together, Jesus gives his followers an assignment. They are to take everything that he has taught them during the three-ish years that they've spent with him, and they're to go out into the world to share it with others, to proclaim what they've seen and what they've heard from Jesus. They're to invite others to become his followers or his disciples. And they're to go into the world and tell them how he lived, how he taught them to love God and to love others. They're to tell people about his crucifixion and his death and how that was a part of God's plan for the redemption and reconciliation of of all who believe in that. And maybe most important of all, Jesus tells the men and women standing in front of him that day that they're to go and to tell everyone that he is alive, risen, victorious over sin and death. Now, if you, if you believe this story actually happened, that it's an actual, actual historical event, which I do, then I believe that the men and women who were standing there that day and all those who saw Jesus after his resurrection were eyewitnesses to the single most important event in human history. Because if the resurrection is true, then everything else about our life, everything else about human life on this planet is different. And now Jesus is inviting these men and women who he'd spent so much time with to now participate in God's plan because he tells them he's leaving, he's departing, not forever. He tells them that he'll return, but he tells them that he's departing and he's inviting the spirit of God, the unseen but omnipresent source of God's presence and power to come and to be with them as they reorient their lives around living and proclaiming the good news of Jesus's life his death, and his resurrection. And that is exactly what those men and women did. How do we know that? We know that because we're here today telling their story. We, we know that because they went out and told people who told people who told people, and this story has been passed from generation to generation to generation because of the people whose lives were transformed, not by something that they heard, but by something that they saw. Now, as I said at the outset, I've read this story many times. I grew up in church, grew up hearing this story every Easter from from one of the four accounts of Jesus's life. And I know many of you are in that same boat. But as I was reading it this year, what really struck me was how this event completely redirected the course of these people's lives. Maybe not all of them. I mean, Matthew, this is one of those little pieces of authenticity that you have to see as you read through these stories. Matthew, here in this account where he's trying to tell you this miraculous event that he knows you're, you're going to have a hard time believing. Matthew says that even when the people who were there, the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus' resurrection, they worshiped him. But he admits some of them doubted. So if you're here today and you've had doubts about this story, you're in good company. Even the people who saw it happen had a hard time believing their eyes. But what we see as we read forward in the writings of the New Testament, 
And as we read the, the history from the early church fathers, what we see is that these early followers of Jesus, his, his first disciples, they radically reoriented their lives around Jesus's mission to live and to proclaim this good news of his life, his death, and his resurrection. From this point forward, everything in their lives was different. Their lives, their families, their friendships, their work, everything that they did, it was now done in the light of this event, this experience that they had had. It was all done. Everything that happened to them was seen in the light of the hope that they had been given. Wherever they went, whatever happened to them, good or bad, they saw it in the light of the hope that they had been given because of Jesus's resurrection. And what really stands out is this change in, the change in direction that this represents for Jesus's followers before the resurrection and after the resurrection. When you back up and you look at this story, when you read the accounts of Jesus's life and you understand, you pay attention to the way that their fo his followers interacted with him, what you see is that they had followed him for, for three-ish years, three or, or more years. And they were drawn in by his acceptance of them and his love, his, his, his invitation to follow him as a, as a master teacher. He was someone who taught with amazing insight into the, the scripture and, and as they followed him, he, they began to see that he did these miraculous things so regularly and effortlessly. And they were swept along by the enthusiasm of the crowds that regularly pursued him, sought him out because of the amazing things that they, that they saw, saw him do. And so his followers were swept into that. They saw him heal people who were sick and, and the blind could see and the lame could walk. They were convinced, absolutely convinced that he was the Messiah, the promised king come to restore Israel. And they knew, they just knew deep inside themselves that they were going to have a front row seat for Jesus becoming king. They even argued at times over who would sit to his right and who would sit to his left, who would get the seats of power, who would get to be the secretary of defense and who would be the secretary of the interior and who got to be the secretary of state. You know, who got all the positions of power? They argued over these things. And despite all that they had seen and all that they had heard, all they had experienced in their time with him, despite him telling them, warning them multiple times that he was going to first face suffering and death before he entered into his kingdom, when it actually happened, it wrecked them. It absolutely destroyed them. If you spent some time on Friday going through the Good Friday liturgy that Brian put together for us, or, or if you just spent some time last week reading through the events of Holy Week, one of the most painful things to read about is just to see how Jesus was almost completely abandoned by these people who had loved him so well, who were so close to him. It's clear in every account that we have of Jesus's life that none of his followers anticipated what was going to happen. As far as they was, were concerned, Jesus's death meant that it was all over. All the plans and hopes and dreams of what their life was going to be like before Jesus's crucifixion were completely destroyed. All their expectations about their, what their life was going to be were shattered. And so when the women went to the tomb early on that Sunday morning, all the accounts that we have indicate that the only reason that they were going there was to mourn him and to finish preparing his body for burial. 
In fact, not one of Jesus's closest followers, his disciples, none of his friends and most trusted followers came with the women that morning. Why would they? What what was there at the tomb for them? Dead people don't teach or heal people or become kings. Dead people stay dead. And then suddenly, beyond their expectations or what they could have anticipated, everything was different. Their mourning and their grief turned to joy and bewilderment. And apparently, now... They had to incorporate into their view of life that suddenly with Jesus, the dead don't actually always stay dead. With Jesus, suddenly there was real hope that there was more to life than just this life. Nothing about their lives would ever be the same from that point forward. They, They did exactly what Jesus asked of them. They lived the rest of their lives sharing this story sharing what they had experienced, sharing how their lives had been transformed by the good news of Jesus's life, by his death and by his resurrection. And as they told the story, they invited those who believed it and even those who had doubts to allow it to transform their life. They asked people to repent, to go and to change their minds about everything that they believe and take it for granted about how the world works. They invited them to believe the good news that in Jesus there is life that begins now and extends into eternity. They invited people to follow Jesus and to reorient their lives around the resurrection in the same way that they had. They shared this good news and people believed and lives were changed and on and on and continued through the centuries around the world right up to today. And many of us who are here could stand up if we had the opportunity and talk about a a time when we first heard this story and really understood what Jesus's life, his death and resurrection meant. We could think about a time when we realized that this story isn't just an ancient story that we tell kids to make them feel better. It's not just something that we rehearse and retell every year, every year. It's a story that's for us, that we are invited into. We are invited into Jesus's life, just like his first followers. Maybe there was a time when, when we realized that we actually believed that this was true, We actually believe that there's life beyond this life, and it gave us hope and purpose and meaning for our life. But here's the important thing. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, if you've kind of tuned out because you've heard this story a lot, tune back in. Just hear this one thing. A life-altering encounter with the story of the resurrection isn't a one-time event. It's not a one-time event. We, we all know what it's like to have events or experiences that change our life and send us in a new direction. We've all had that experience before. Maybe for you, it was deciding to leave where you grew up to go to college or to take a new job or just to get a new start. Maybe you ended up in Denver because of that. For some of us, we can think back about our wedding day, about how that event changed the course of our life and changed what our life would be like following that day. For some of you, maybe it's the experience of having a child or becoming a parent. Maybe for you, it was something tragic, like a diagnosis, an illness for yourself, or the loss of a loved one. Hey, newsflash, we are in the middle of a life-altering event right now with this pandemic. All of us will one day be able to think back and remember life before this pandemic and life after it. For, For a whole generation, it will become the defining event 
for their life, for all of us who live through it, we will be defined in some way by it. In the same way that previous generations have been defined by events like 9-11, the Kennedy assassination, or the bombing of Pearl Harbor. This will be a defining event for our life. But our encounter with the resurrection is different. Its impact on us isn't the same as a one-time event that sends us in a new direction. Our encounter with the resurrection is something that we actively have the opportunity to participate in every single day. And it transcends. It has the power to transcend every other life-altering event that we will experience in our life. You see, the resurrection compels us to examine Jesus's life and his death. As we remember and reflect on Jesus's life, it informs the way that we live. It orients us away from selfishness and caring for ourselves alone towards love for God and love for others. His life guides us and we're transformed. And as we reflect and we remember Jesus's death, we remember that his sacrifice pays for every sin that we have ever committed or will ever commit, that because of him, we are enough. We don't have to work hard or or, or hustle for worthiness. We don't have to uh, do anything to to get his acceptance or his love because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. We simply have to accept his forgiveness and root our identity in what was accomplished on the cross. And when we do that, we are transformed. And as we remember and reflect on Jesus's resurrection, we're set free. We're set free from the sin, the fear of sin and of death. We're we're set free to be able to live lives where we're not concerned about the things that may happen to us. His resurrection reminds us that whatever fears and anxieties we may face in life doesn't make them go away, but it transforms them. It changes them. It reminds us that with him, we can face them all. It orients us towards hope even in the worst of circumstances. And as that happens, we are transformed. This remembrance brings the story of Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection into our life. This is the active daily moment by moment transforming power that Jesus has. And no matter where you are today, physically, no matter where you are spiritually, no matter where you are on this journey of faith, this is good news for you. The transforming power of Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection is available to you. It's available to me. It's available to everyone. And maybe you're here today and you've never really believed this story. Or or maybe you've just never really believed it has anything to do with you. Well, maybe today is the day that you begin to realize that this this story, that Jesus's life, Jesus's death, and his resurrection are, are for you. And you're invited in. You're invited to change your mind today and to believe that this good news is for you. Maybe like me, you've heard this story a lot. Maybe it was a long time ago that you first believed it. Maybe today, maybe today is the day that you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded from time to time. Because we can allow this, this memory, this, this story, the way that it's impact us to drift, drift to the back of our, line, our minds and all of the other concerns of life move to the front. Maybe today we need to be reminded. Maybe more than ever in these difficult days, as we are reminded every day by the onslaught of a global pandemic, just how fragile 
and tenuous life really is, how tenuous our, our health is, how much we take that for granted, as we see how our communities and countries, local and world economies can be turned upside down almost overnight by a tiny virus. Maybe we need to be reminded. Maybe in this day, these days more than ever, we need to be reminded that there is hope. Beyond our hopes simply for health, for the sick, or a cure for this disease, beyond our hopes for the chance to gather together in person again, either for worship, for a meal together, or for a concert or a sporting event, beyond our hopes for the return of businesses and restaurants and the opportunity for good work that provides for our wants and for our needs, beyond our hopes for the, these simple things, the things that we the simple pleasures that we just took for granted a month or so ago. Beyond all these hopes is the hope that somehow, some way, ultimately, things are going to be okay. Hope that there is more to this life than the concerns and cares and fears and anxieties and joys and exhilarations of this life. There is more. Hope that in every end there is a beginning with God. That because of the resurrection, we have hope. This is the hope that the resurrection gives us. And as we close, let's hold on to that hope and begin to imagine what it might look like if we were to invite this kind of prayer of hope into our life each day, even in these difficult times. Praise be the nurses and doctors, every medical staff bent over flesh to offer care for lives saved and lives lost for showing up either way. Praise for the farmers tilling soil, planting seeds so food can grow, an act of hope if ever there was. Praise be the janitors and garbage collectors, the grocery store clerks and the truck drivers barreling through long, quiet nights. Give thanks for bus drivers, delivery persons, postal workers, and all those keeping an eye on water, gas, and electricity. Blessings on our leaders making hard choices for the common good, offering words of assurance. Celebrate the scientists working a way to understand the thing that plagues us to find an antidote, and all the medicine makers. Praise be the journalists keeping us informed. Praise be the teachers, finding new ways to educate children from afar and blessings on parents holding it together for them. Blessed are the elderly and those with weakened immune systems, all those who worry for their health. Praise for those who stay at home to protect them. Blessed are the domestic violence victims on lockdown with abusers, the homeless and refugees. Praise for the artists and poets, the singers and storytellers, all those who nourish with words and sound and color. Blessed are the ministers and therapists of every kind, bringing words of comfort. Blessed are the ones whose jobs are lost, who have no savings, who feel fear of the unknown gnawing. Blessed are those in grief, especially who mourn alone. Blessed are those who have passed into the great night. 
prays for police and firefighters, paramedics, and all who work to keep us safe. Praise for all the workers and caregivers of every kind. Praise for the sound of notifications, messages from friends reaching across the distance. Give thanks for laughter and kindness. Praise be our four-footed companions with no forethought or anxiety, responding only in love. Praise for the seas and rivers, forests and stones who teach us to endure. Give thanks for your ancestors, for the wars and plagues they endured and survived. Their resilience is in your bones and your blood. Blessed is the water that flows over our hands and the soap that helps keep them clean, each time a baptism. Praise every moment of stillness and silence so new voices can be heard. Praise the chance and slowness. birds who continue to sing the sky awake each day. Praise for the primrose poking yellow petals from dark earth. Blessed is the air clearing overhead so one day we can breathe deeply again. And when this has passed, may we say that love spread more quickly than any virus ever could. say this was not just an ending, but also a place to begin. Mm-hmm.